News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. Pete at show.com 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Breaking down the redistricting order. No opinion uh, to go along with this. No direction on criteria uh, from the four Democrats on the North Carolina Supreme Court that issued this order uh, late Friday. Um, Justice... The Chief Justice, Paul Newby, Republican, he issued a dissent. It was signed on to by his two Republican colleagues. So it was a 4-3 uh, uh, ruling that was handed down. And he says that the majority, the four Democrats, the majority rules that the North Carolina Constitution now has a statewide proportionality requirement for redistricting. It seeks to support that view with various provisions of our Declaration of Rights that are designed to protect individual and personal rights and in doing so it magically transforms the protection of individual rights into the creation of a protected class from members of a political party subjecting a redistricting plan to strict scrutiny review absent from their order is any mention of the word extreme partisan gerrymandering which was the issue presented to the court Perhaps the sentence best characterizing the uh, majority's holding is that, quote, the General Assembly violates the state constitution when it deprives a voter of his or her right to substantially equal voting power on the basis of partisan affiliation. Now, the question of how much partisan consideration is unconstitutional, that part remains a mystery. (laughs) We don't know how much is too much, as does what is meant by Uh, substantially equal voting power on the basis of partisan affiliation. Any discretionary decisions constitutionally committed to the General Assembly in the redistricting process have now been transferred to the court. Ironically, it goes on to say uh, that the, uh, the majority claims the legislature should not subordinate traditional neutral districting criteria to partisan considerations, but its own litmus test of constitutionality requires a satisfactory partisanship analysis. So while the what he's saying there is you got the four Democrats who are making this case that we're not saying you need to subordinate these other things that are in the Constitution to partisan criteria, but... If your plan, your map, meets all of the constitutionally prescribed criteria, except for the partisan one, well, then we're going to throw it out, too. So what the, So what are they saying? That it does subordinate, right? They're saying that that is more important, that you can check all of these boxes, you can do all of these things, follow the Constitution, but if the partisan numbers are out of alignment to whatever their thinking is, then it's no good. Let me get over... To the, I mean, I could, I've got the whole, I'm not going to read his entire dissent. You, you should read the entire dissent. So here is the, the editors over at McClatchy. They were oh, so upset at Newby's dissent. Uh, they called it an embarrassment. The North Carolina Supreme Court's Democratic majority handed down a win for democracy. By the way, like when you use that term, when you say it like that, like that's the same thing as when I hear like people say, it's the science. Like, okay, you're not a serious person. Um, They go on to say, 
Chief Justice Paul Newby, joined by his fellow Republican justices, handed down what amounted to a judicial tantrum. The legal basis for his dissent is ludicrous in itself. Newby argues that since electoral maps are drawn by members of the General Assembly who are chosen by voters, any judicial intervention in the redistricting process usurps the will of the people. He didn't actually argue that, but uh, they're on a roll. And with the Germans bombing Pearl Harbor and all that, a uh, head that's a head-scratching argument when the primary issue... See, at this point, uh, you, I, I wonder, like, are you this obtuse? Or, or are you trying to misdirect? Like, I can't tell. I can't tell. Like... Are you trying to are you trying to convince people through this act or are you really this uninformed? Are you really this this ignorant, this bad faith acting like is that really the case? I don't know which is worse. I'm trying to not ascribe worst of motives here, but I don't know which one of those is actually a better motive. So um says it's a head-scratching argument when the primary issue is that the maps drawn by Republicans all but guarantee that the legislature does not in fact represent the will of the people. Which, of course, uh, they won't say this, but it's based on an undefined principle of fairness, proportionality. They, they're, not descri- they're not defining it for us. They want as many seats as they can get, and they will use whatever argument they need to make in order to get whatever number of seats that they feel like they're entitled to. And I guess it's probably, what, 52%, roughly? Right? That's really what you guys think you, you deserve, Right. Newby didn't just dispute the merits of the majority ruling, as a judge appropriately does in in a dissenting opinion. He didn't just dispute the merits of the majority ruling. He went a step further by questioning the merits of his colleagues and the court itself. It was behavior unbecoming of a justice, let alone the chief justice of the state Supreme Court. Yeah, maybe it is an indication of the level of outrage he uh, he is feeling at the behavior of his colleagues. Right? Maybe... There's a reason why he's unloading with both barrels here. They go on to say it's unfortunate. It should be out of bounds for uh, uh, for lawmakers like the Republican lawmakers who attacked the judges too, uh, that they were bought and paid for partisan hacks. Well, I mean, Anita Earls, um, who was an activist lawyer and you know then got onto the bench and got paid by one of the funders in the party and then heard the case argued by her former law partner but yeah so that's unfortunate and it should be out of bounds lawmakers should not be saying these things about judges now we still get to call republicans all sorts of like racist sexist bigots we don't don't worry about that we can still do that just do not question the lawyers when they put the robes on okay um i thought this was kind of comical though they say it's not the first time Newby has publicly maligned his colleagues. In 2019, uh, he called uh, he called them AOCs and accused them of judicial activism. Yeah, maybe because they are. Uh, but perhaps that's just what you get when you elect justices to the state's highest court through partisan elections and allow campaigns to be funded by private dollars rather than by public financing. It is, after all, nearly impossible to keep politics out of a court that isn't designed to be apolitical. The result was apparent, a state Supreme Court soiled by the same toxic partisanship that poisons the other branches of government. So Paul Newby was actually first elected in 2004 when the judicial races were nonpartisan, and he has been on the Supreme Court ever since. He has been in that spot for almost 20 years, 
He was elected without partisan ID, and he was elected with partisan ID. He's not a good poster child for your argument. Did you guys even think to check that out before you went off on your, uh, you know, monocle into the martini glass, hit the fainting couch swoon here? So at 11 a.m. today, the House Democratic Minority Leader, Robert Reeves, and the Senate Minority Leader, Dan Blue, uh, both Democrats, hence the minority leaders, um, in both chambers, held a news conference. And uh, they got out there, and it was kind of comical at first because they said, uh, well, I don't know when we're going to get together to talk about, you know, redrawing the maps. I mean, we're here reporting for duty, like uh, John F. Kerry. Uh, but I, I don't, like, I don't understand why you would call this press conference to go out there and say we're ready to work, but you don't know on what. You don't know what the criteria are. And they were then asked, uh, like, for example, Senator Dan Blue was asked, when you say fair, what do you mean by fair. Well, I think that we'll get a clearer understanding of how the court interprets it when they issue their written opinion. All we have to go by is the order itself telling us that we got to do something differently. Then That's it. So, right, so there's, did you hear what he just said? We don't know. The court just said we got to do something differently. So we're just going to wait for the court to let us know what that is or something. This it's bizarre. It's kind of bizarre. It was done in the last redistricting. Uh, but, but no, uh, the, the specific question that you asked, uh, the fair maps don't guarantee that Democrats are going to win, uh, and they wouldn't guarantee that Republicans are going to win. But to use some of the language uh, from the order, uh, they, they would say that you can't set up a set of circumstances, so regardless of what the vote for Democrats are, uh, you know, in the mid-50s or somewhere else, uh, they still can't win. Uh, you know, I think it's intuitive. Uh, we're all taught from the time that we play in the sandboxes as three and four year olds that you got to be fair. Uh, and we start getting a sense of what fair is uh, when we're little kids. Uh, and if you watch little kids, they got uh, a concept when they take the ball, all you got to do is tell them, nope, you got to share it with Johnny a little bit. Uh, they understand that. So, you know, maybe we can retrogress back a little bit to what we learned in the sandboxes, what we learned in elementary school. We got an idea of what fair is, and I'm sure that uh, my Republican colleagues do, too. Um, no. Yeah, no. No, that's not a standard either. But uh, I'm, Look, you want to go back and look at, you know, two-year-olds playing in a sandbox and use that as guidance for... Fairness, I guess, or something. I don't know. I, I, that's not a standard. But he literally just says, like, we're waiting on the courts. Um, they're then asked, what are your priorities for the new maps? And again, un until we hear from the Republican leadership uh, so that we can together decide what would be considered fair, you know, I, I don't want to speculate uh, but but I do think that there are some basic concepts. If, in fact, uh, you decide to treat the major urban counties differently than you treat other counties, and you try that for partisan advantage, uh, that in and of itself smacks of unfairness. Uh, you know, we, we have to, as the court said, look at the Stevenson principles, neutral uh, redistricting criteria. Which they uh, did. criteria that creates an advantage uh, uh, systematically for Republicans over time. That, that, that's what, what fair is. That's what fair is. 
So creating a Republican advantage, that's unfair. To what extent? Don't know. How to measure it? Don't know. Um, Here is Representative Reeves. He said Democrats offered 20 amendments during the redistricting process, so uh, that's a pretty good indication of what they think fair is. You know what it looks like. You know what it feels like. You know what it should be. And there are times when you look at some of these maps and it's ridiculous. And I think using the urban areas is a great example of seeing that there are times where it's clear that those splits are for partisan advantage, not because you're trying to keep like-minded communities together. So like-minded communities can stay together. Right. That's one of the that's one of the principles that they had in there. So now partisanship also, but not too much. It's all very Goldilocks. Let me tell you what's going on uh, up in New York. Headline, how New York Democrats are leading a master class in gerrymandering. Democrats across America have spent years railing against partisan gerrymandering, particularly in Republican states, most recently trying to pass federal voting uh, election overhaul um, to all but outlaw the practice. But given the same opportunity for the first time in decades, Democratic lawmakers in New York adopted on Wednesday an aggressive reconfiguration of the state's congressional districts that positions the party to flip three seats in the House this year, a greater shift than projected in any other state. Legal and political experts immediately criticized the new district contours as a blatant and hypocritical partisan gerrymander, and Republicans who were powerless to stop it legislatively in Albany threatened to challenge the map in court under new anti-gerrymandering provisions in the state's constitution, though it's unclear if they could prove partisan intent. Well, why would they need to prove that? They don't need to prove that. Why have to prove partisan intent? They literally, think about this, New York State literally just put into its constitution an anti-gerrymandering provision. Democrats won control of the process and immediately violated it. Don't tell me this is about principles. And I know, oh, I don't care what's happening in North Carolina, not New York. Like, first off, half of New York is in North Carolina, so I don't believe that. A lot of people do care. But also, there is a larger principle at play, and it is not universally shared. This is not something that the Democrats are all lobbying for. When they have the power to do it, they do it too. I don't believe that North Carolina is filled with all these Democrats, that they are the ones that are so enlightened now that they got you know thrown out of power after a century and a half. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110. 1-800-WBT-1110. Dean, welcome to the show. Hello, Dean. What's going on? What do you say there, Pete? Pete, just so your listeners know, I'm not the email Dean. I just You're want to not put, the that other de- <laughs> right. put that out there right away. <laughs> so help me out here. Teach me or remind me. So I can think I remember Senate is two representatives per state. That kind of keeps everything on an equal basis. And then congressional seats are by population, correct? Mm-hmm. At the so national the, level, yeah. At the, sorry, so this is state level now that we're talking about. So is that also by population? Yes, they time? both are. So, so there's the no Senate, way of just using a computer and having it divide the state into 50 equal boxes and everybody lives by that? No, because, so for a couple of reasons, there, you would have to change the Constitution because the Constitution spells out certain criteria, uh, keeping... Counties whole, for example. Uh, then there are other uh, court rulings that 
uh, created, like they call them these groupings, the county groupings, because they are communities of interest. They are sort of like, uh, and and their numbers are uh, pretty close to, uh, you know, to that even population. So, yeah, you basically take like in the Senate, it's 50 seats. So you take the population and you divide it by 50. And in the House, it's 120. And same okay. thing, you divide it by 120. And that's how you get the size. And then some counties are, you know, perfectly or pretty close to a perfect, uh, you know, uh, portion. Like it it works out where like this county happens to have this like 80,000 people and boom, there you go. That's a district. That's easy. Harder is Mecklenburg where you got to carve it up. Right. But when you're carving it up, how do you do that? Correct. Then you got other criteria. I was looking for a blind option of just here it is. Darn it, and that's what—that's the way we do it, no matter what. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, there's no it, there's no equivalent for like the U.S. Senate at the state level where you would just give everybody, you know, the same number of senators and whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. you, I mean, I guess like you could. I mean, there's no reason why people couldn't try to run a different kind, run a bill or a constitutional amendment uh, and change the makeup. Like we got a hundred counties, so you could say sure. one senator per county um, or two senators per county. That would be probably unwieldy, two hundred senators, but. Um, you know, because the same premise is that like the House has more members, so it's supposed to be a little bit more rambunctious, you know. But both both chambers elect their members every two years, so it's the turnover is is you know pretty equal. But, yeah, no, no, something has to change, or this is just tit for tat, back and forth every election. Okay. Right, and and it's playing out not just here, but also at the national level too, where you've got uh, there was a there's a fella, his name is David Wasserman, and uh, yeah, here he, he did an analysis. He says of the 301 new house districts that have now been adopted, only 17 went for Biden or for Trump by five points or less. So in other words, if you're looking at a district, is it quote unquote competitive? So is sure. it within five points? Did it go for Biden by under five or Trump by under five? And that's sort of, there's only five and a half percent of all of the districts now meet that criteria. And that is down by almost a half of what it was um, before. So right now, before all these new maps, back in 2012, after the last redistricting round, um, there were even more districts that were that close. So what's happening is that all over America, what's happening is that the 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 states are gerrymandering and redistricting, uh-huh. making safer and safer seats for the sure. party in power. And so that's why Democrats think that. I mean, we are. It is not inconceivable right now that despite all of the headwinds that. Democrats actually are able to not l- be wiped out by Republicans in this upcoming midterm. That is a that is a possibility because of the redistricting maps that they have drawn for themselves in some of these states. Uh, I already have problems enough sleeping at night, Pete. You don't have to tell me all that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> all right, Dean. I appreciate the call. Good to hear from you, man. Thank you. Bye. All right. Take care. Yeah. No, it's I and I I do recognize the allure of finding a a simple solution for this. I do. I really do. And I w- and this is why, like, I-, I keep saying, like, I'm open to be persuaded. If you have some ideas, please, by all means, let's hear them. I would like to hear some ideas on how you get to, um, quote-unquote, fair maps. What does that look like? But it just seems like every, quote, good government group that makes these proposals, 
they all seem to benefit Democrats. Now, maybe that's just because, well, there are more registered Democrats and they're, you know, whatever. I admit, more people are Democrats and Democrats are more popular or whatever. I, I don't know. I, but it, it automatically makes me suspicious. I'm, well, okay. I'm automatically suspicious of all of this stuff anyway. Uh, full disclosure. <laughs> I'm skeptical of all this stuff. And so because of that, I recognize this, you know, government is a man-made construct. And as such, it's going to have problems. It will have flaws. It will be corrupted and corruptible. Absolutely. And if I am to believe that uh, gerrymandering will solidify a political party forever, then I have to have not paid any attention to what happened to the Democrats in this state 10 years ago, 12 years ago. See, that's, this, is, this is the obvious inconvenient fact here, is that Democrats gerrymandered, Democrats did all of, the, and, and far more. Like, that's the thing. Like, they solidified their power using way more than just gerrymandering. Like, that's the most benign thing they used in their effort to keep themselves entrenched in power for 140 years in the state. I mean, they literally, they literally committed a coup d'etat in Wilmington, murdering black people, Republicans, a fusion government that had ousted the Democrats on city council down there, like the the Raleigh News and Observer newspaper, like they were whipping up the racist, anti-Republican rhetoric at the time, like they literally, they literally did that. So violence, they did a, they had a patronage system where you got jobs based on your connections to the party and your donations. So there was money laundering aspect to it as well. You've had, uh, you had a spoils system. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not talking like a hundred years ago. I'm talking Jim Hunt, the Hunt machine. You know, Roy Cooper came up in that machine. That's how recent this stuff has been. So, yeah, no, I I recognize that that both parties engage in this stuff, and when it becomes so bad that Republicans vote out their own people over the corruption, that's when the things change. And, oh, but Pete, maybe we should make up some better rules. Let's hear them. And you guys went through the courts, so I think it's incumbent upon you and your judges to now tell us what the criteria need to be. All right, so one of the arguments that... House Minority Leader Robert Reeves made talking about the partisan courts and how, you know, the uh, application of the R's and the D's on the judges ballots, uh, that that is that that's the reason we should go. We should take those off. Nobody needs to see the D's and the R's. That's why the courts are all partisan. I pointed this out earlier. Justice Newby was elected under the previous model where there were no D's and R's on the ballot. So that's the first thing, okay? Second, this idea that only now are the courts politicized because those awful, evil Republicans let voters know who's a D and who's an R on the ballot, right? You would have to ignore basically all the rest of North Carolina history, except for a window of about eh, 13 years. 13 years. 
everything, all the rest of that time, you could see D's and R's. Here's here's the thing. So, like, they have a quote in this uh, uh, article at WRAL. Uh, very end of the quote my, uh, of the piece is a quote by Michael Bitzer, the Catawba College political scientist. And he said, when you invest the court in partisan elections and people run on partisan party labels, nobody should be surprised by the partisan dynamics that come out. Which is very interesting to me how everybody is talking about the partisan nature of newbies dissent, but not the partisan nature of the judicial activism from the four Democrats. Right there's just this this glossing over. It's I don't know. It was for democracy. So in 1868, the North Carolina Constitution created judicial elections. Prior to that, all the judges were appointed by the General Assembly. Yeah. Prior to 18, so Civil War time for right after the Civil War, the new Constitution after the war was over, 1868 created judicial elections. Um, then. About, oh, what, 35 years later, 1915, party primaries are introduced. Now, if you think about it, party primaries getting introduced means, yeah, there are parties, exactly. There are parties. 1962, so 50 years after that, another round of amendments are made to the state constitution. It kept the elections with party ID. 1987, there was actually a federal discrimination lawsuit brought um, against um, uh, against state lawmakers, Democrats, because uh, superior courts were being drawn to block black candidate or voters from electing minority candidates. That was that was Democrats who did that. 1987, 1992, Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals said electing superior court by statewide vote equals a gerrymander against the GOP. And then 1996, the General Assembly makes changes in superior court elections, making them nonpartisan to start in 1998 for superior court. Then in 2001-2002, they changed district court level and appellate courts beginning in 2002. And then in 2015 and 17, the Republicans changed it back. So basically 13 or so years, there were, uh, there, there were the judges' D's and R's were not listed on the ballot. But I'm supposed to believe that the partisanship is because we put them back on the ballot four years ago. And I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it, particularly when the poster child you guys are pointing to is Paul Newby, who actually won as a uh, non-listed. It was an it was a nonpartisan election for him the first time, and second, yeah, and second, I think. Uh, all right, Stephen, welcome to the show. Hello, Stephen. What's going on? Hey, Pete. Hey. So the, the the solution to the gerrymandering issue, and this is across the board is to um, to ask yourself what made what made major cities in this country become population centers for African Americans because that, that, that's that's why these these uh, each city has a, a Democrat stronghold and it, it's section eight housing and 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 you can't break through that and so what you would have to do is you would have to uh, eliminate the section eight housing in each city and that would disperse um, that would disperse and and bring in a different demographic into the. It's city. not to, well, but that's the thing. It's not. I mean, it, it's it's not a it's not a straight racial thing. Those are Democrat strongholds. I mean, I mean, you go into Plaza Midwood, 
right? You go into Elizabeth, those are Democrat strongholds. Those aren't, and, and, and I would, I would guess there probably is not a very large African-American population in those neighborhoods, right? No, well, but you have to think what's attracting, what's attracting liberals to those areas. We know, we know one, it, Democrats, African-Americans are like 90% voting for Democrats. So they're attracted to the population hubs because of Section 8 housing. But, I, but, but so you, pr- hang on, but Stephen, you've proved, Stephen, no, Stephen, Stephen, no, Stephen. All right, hang on. All right. Yeah, that's what happens, Stephen. If you're, you make these assertions and you don't have any statistical evidence to support that. Is there some survey or polling out there that I've, that, that that's the reason why African-Americans move to cities? Because you know where there's a massive African-American population is down east. Yeah, that was actually in the lawsuit over the the gerrymandering was the rural African-American vote. That was uh, at issue in the trial for this. So, like, I, it sounds like you've got, it sounds like you got ideas, and it doesn't matter what I have to say or any questions I might have to ask about it. So I think it's probably best that we just part ways from there. Because uh, there are many, many... Uh, my wife and I would very much have loved to have lived in a city. We we did for a little bit. We lived in uptown Charlotte for a while. And we liked it. And then the protests broke out. And we're like, we don't need to have this outside of our front door. Literally outside the front door. Like, we don't need that. We don't need to be walking through violence and protests and street closures and the the degradation of security we, we don't need we don't need that and that was there were a lot of white people marching through the streets for that stuff too so no it's uh, I, i'm not i'm not going to put all of this on uh, section 8 housing i mean it's a it'd be a very convenient excuse but no there are a lot of people that are attracted to city life maybe less so now Maybe less so now because of the way that they've been mismanaged. Um, there was one other quote in here. It came from the, uh, in the WRAL story, Bobby Richardson, the North Carolina Democratic Party chairwoman. She said um, about Republicans returning to the drawing board, uh, saying they want power. Why would they not do it? When she was asked if Republicans would return to the drawing board ahead of the 2024 election, because that is still a potential possibility. They could actually come in and get another bite at the apple after they flip the North Carolina Supreme Court in this upcoming race. She said, we have been through this before, and I hope they understand that the taxpayer dollars are being spent on frivolous court cases. So I will have to trust them, but I also will be vigilant and make sure that we are prepared for whatever scenario that they throw at us. Uh, So just, I feel the need to point this out. The spending of the tax dollars and such, the lawsuit was announced before the maps were even drawn. Okay? So the left has been suing until they turn the state blue, the sue-till-blue strategy. It's in effect. That's what we are witnessing. Brett Winterbill's coming up next. Stick around. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Mm-hmm.